0: Is that on? Okay, everybody needs a chance to turn to this because I can almost guarantee you you'll want to go back and make sure that's exactly what it said. <laughs> okay, all of the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field that he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank, you, God. You may be
1: Thank you, Stan. And like Stan said, this is one of those passages that after you read it, you're like, wait a minute. Did I just read what I thought I read? We did. We're going to talk about it. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. Whether we recognize it or not, uh some of us came this morning and and maybe we just stumbled in, we're just we're just very desperate. And in desperate need of you to come near to us and heal us this morning. And I pray for those of us in that place that you would that you would meet them and encourage them and lift their hearts with your love and your peace. Lord, for others of us, we, we come maybe just cold uh, and we're just here. And so we need you to warm our hearts and soften our hearts. And in these moments that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive your word afresh. Because you say it's alive. That it has the power to change us. So would you change us this morning? Come and meet with us. Speak your words of grace into our hearts and into our lives. And prepare us to meet you at your table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So kids, I have a question for us to get started. And by the way, there should be some some children's bulletins over there. That will help you to follow along with the service. So feel free to get up and go grab one of those at any point if you'd like. But... The question to get us started off this morning for you guys is, do you ever have to share things that belong to you? Anybody ever have to share? What are some of the things that you have to share? A room. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. In the back? Okay, room. We've got some room shares over here. It's a hard thing, isn't it? Luke, what do you have to share? Toys. That's painful, right? You know, you, have, you ever have any toys that are just yours? They were given to you. You remember when you got them. And then you got to share them? A car. Okay. Hey, it continues, right? As you get older, it continues. Tax. Like, that's a point. I mean, who doesn't love to pay taxes, right? Who pays their taxes and thinking thinks I'm so glad I get to share what God has entrusted to me with the fellow citizens of this nation? No, we don't think that whenever we have to pay taxes. Sharing's hard. It's painful. It's really, really difficult. And as we've seen, when you grow up and you become a grown up, you become an adult. It's just as painful. And sometimes I think as you get older, the harder things to to share is not only your possessions, that's certainly hard, but I think more so your time when you become a grown-up. be able to share your time is so very painful and hard because it's so limited. We have just such a limited amount. As we come to our passage, we see this picture of the early church that Luke is showing us in Acts. And one of the things that jumps out, it's a demonstration of their love for one another, is the radical sharing that they were experiencing together. And so we'll look at that in just a minute. And I think as we look at this, we're going to see and talk about there's lots of barriers in us as the church. uh, Barriers to living connected in this way and sharing our lives in the kind of way that we see here. One is just It's just our selfishness. Just in in each one of us deep in our hearts, this inclination to put me first. is very natural in our sin nature. And so selfishness is probably the the first barrier to sharing in this way. But even beyond that, I think it's we find ourselves in a culture, and we've talked about this a good bit as a church, but we, we find ourselves in a culture that's very individualistic. That is, our culture kind of shapes us to begin to think about all of life through the lens of the individual, through the lens of me. So we don't see ourselves primarily as part of a people. It's part of why taxes are so hard to pay. Because we think, that's mine. That doesn't belong to anybody else, and we're mad. We tend to think of ourselves primarily just as individuals. And that's the lens that kind of... Colors everything that we do. It's even hard to even notice this. We, we tend to prize things like our privacy. I mean, how important is our privacy to us, our personal space? We like to keep our options and our calendar open. We don't like to commit to things or lock ourselves into things. And all of these things are conditioned, by and large, not just by our selfishness, but our individualistic culture. And that even begins to shape the way that we see Christianity the way that we even see the church, we tend to think, especially in our culture, in American culture, Western culture, we tend to think about the church as primarily something that exists to serve my personal relationship with God. I mean, that that tends to be what's lifted up the most. And now that's very important. I don't want to downplay your personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, all summer we talked about that how that's good and right, and the Psalms invite us into that. But we tend to think of it only in those terms. We tend to think of church, for instance, as as a place to come and get my personal spiritual needs met. Something that, you know, I can get met in other kinds of places. But the church primarily is a place for me personally to connect with God only. So we tend to even look at Christianity, approach Christianity in a very individualistic kind of way. So today we're starting a new series in the book of Acts. This is a mission series we'd like to take every August and every January as a church to kind of reset ourselves on mission. And to have some time to really focus on what does it mean to be on mission? What is the mission that we're called to as a church? And that's very, very important to us. As a church, and here's our mission statement as a church, that we are seeking to enjoy Jesus together in community, being moved out to love and serve Dade County. That's our mission together as a church. That's what we're after. That's what we're seeking to give ourselves to over and over and over. And what we're going to focus on today is that middle part of together in community. You see, we might think as we begin to talk about this that what does community have to do with mission? Mission is this sense of going out. It's going. It's taking the gospel out. It's doing things. And community, as we talk about community, we're talking more about our relationships with each other. It's more in. Where mission is out, community is in. And what do those have to do with one another? But what we see in our passage today is that they're not two separate things. They're inseparable. Community and mission are inseparable. And here's why. Because it is our relationships with each other in the church that embodies the gospel. It is our relationships within the church, our love for one another, that most validates and pictures the gospel for the world. So we're going to see community is the vessel of gospel mission. Community is the Vessel of gospel mission. It's what carries it out into the world. We'll see. Hopefully, that'll become more clear as we look at our passage together. So, we're picking up. We're in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And last August, we left off at the beginning of chapter 4. So, we're marching through passage by passage in the book of Acts. And in this passage, Luke, Luke is the writer of Acts, by the way. Luke is going to give us again, a window into the life of the early church. He does this over and over and over in the book of Acts. He'll kind of hit pause on the action where he's telling us in the book of Acts how the gospel is going to the world and how it's reaching people and people are being converted and the gospel is literally spreading throughout the world and he's showing us that action and how it's even transforming communities. And then he'll hit pause and he'll just give us a little window into the life of the early church. Now, what's remarkable is we look at this church. We're, we're kind of looking through a window into history. What was the earliest church like? What were the relationships like with one another? How, how did they do life together? And the picture that he gives us here is a tremendous one. Again, chapter 4, verse 32. Look again with me at what we just read. We see right off the bat in verse 32, again, describing the early church that all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were one in heart and mind. Now that's a huge kind of statement to say, that they were one in their thinking, in their heart, in their affections. He's describing for us the early church as being a place where their relationships with each other were deep. They knew one another. They knew one another's struggles They knew one another's joys. They knew what was happening in one another's lives. They knew that those things that were painful in one another's lives, they were supporting each other. They were sharing openly their heart with each other. And because of that, because they not only did they share, not only did they know what was most true about one another, they accepted one another in love. What do you imagine it would be like to be a part of a community like that? Where everyone was one. Where their hearts and their lives were open to one another. And relationships were so deep in that way. As he continues to describe it, he gives us a little bit more specifics of what that oneness looks like. Now this is the part that, as Stan was saying, is just absolutely disturbing to American Christianity. Look at what he says. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything that they had. Jumping down to verse 34, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And then it gives us, in verse 36, this description of Joseph, an actual specific person who was a part of the early church, just by way of an example, where Luke says, hey, let me tell you about one person that actually did this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, his name is changed to Barnabas. You see him popping up later in the New Testament as he is going with Paul on his missionary journeys. He becomes a missionary. But at this point, Joseph is this real living, breathing person that probably was a person of some wealth that sold a piece of land that he had and took the proceeds from that sale and just handed it over to the apostles to distribute among the church. What a stunning picture of this relationships that were so deep and so committed that they were sharing the things that belonged to them. They did not see their personal property as their own. Now, it's not saying, and sometimes we read this, and especially as capitalists and Americans, we get a little nervous. Whoa, whoa, what are you talking about here? Are we talking about communism? Are we, are we talking about socialism here? No, it wasn't that at all, because they were owning it. It was theirs. It's, they weren't called to renounce the ownership of personal property. That's the whole point. It belonged to them. But yet their attitude was not, this is mine. And that's the issue. They didn't look at the things that belonged to them and say, this is my stuff. This just belongs to me. Rather, they were so committed to one another in radical generosity that they said, my stuff is not just my stuff. My stuff belongs to you. And they do what we as Americans, especially if you're a person that has known any wealth at all, the one thing that you never do is liquidate your assets. You, you, you hold that stuff over there. You don't get into that. You don't get into your 401K. You don't get into your, your, you know, your, your nest egg over there. You don't touch that. Well, they didn't get that memo. Literally, they were liquidating the things that belong to them for those in need in their community. Recently, a friend of mine, actually, Eric Youngblood, if you, pastor of Rock Creek Fellowship, this a couple years ago, there was a guy in his church at Rock Creek that, that is a neighbor that lives right across the street, and Eric's uh, lawnmower went out. And he calls this guy across the street, again, in the church, and he said, hey, do you and you know Eric, he hates to put anybody out. He said, is there any way I could just borrow your lawnmower just for a day? I'll get it right back to you and everything. And the guy's response just leveled him. He said, of course. He said, listen, you need to understand this. If I got it, you got it. What a concept. that That's exactly what was taking place in the early church. If I got it, you got it. Everything I got belongs to you. See, they were living this out. They were sacrificing for one another. And what's a greater sacrifice than taking your treasure, the things that belong to you, and just saying, oh, you got need? Here, take this. I mean, they, they weren't even retaining it and saying, I want control over how it's distributed. They were just handing it over to the apostles saying, here, it's not even mine. You take it. You distribute it as you see need. What a radical picture of their sharing and their commitment and their openness to one another. Not only were they sharing their stuff, they were sharing their very lives. They knew each other. They were welcoming one another into their lives. It's a tremendous picture. It's an illustration of something that we say all the time as a church. One of the things we we talk about all the time is how the gospel impacts your money. We say that all the time, literally like every week at the time of offering. Offering is not something we just kind of skip over, but it's something that we actually say, hey, this is a part part of worship. And you know what? Whenever you are experiencing the gospel, whenever you are experiencing God's generosity to you and Jesus, you know what it does with your money? It makes you open-handed. It makes you radically generous. The gospel impacts your money and your stuff. And we see it very vividly in the early church why was this happening among them i mean the apostles didn't come to them and say okay now we're going to impose a system here everybody that owns property you need to liquidate that and bring that here we got some rules in place here they weren't doing that the thing to see is is it was spontaneous in their hearts they were doing this out of love for one another out of unity for one another that, that their relationships with one another were more important than their stuff how did that happen You see it in the middle of the passages. Luke tells us in verse 33, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. At the heart of their life together was the gospel. The apostles were just preaching the gospel, and they were saying, Jesus is Lord of all. He has been raised from the dead, and by virtue of that, one day we will be raised. And one day he will fill the whole world with his kingdom. And you have been brought into his kingdom by pure grace. And because of your union with him, you have the Father's affection, and you have the Father's love, in spite of all the things that are true of you. They were preaching and pressing the truth of the gospel into the hearts of the church. And the result was, Oh, you need something I have? here, devoted to you. I'm not clinging to the things of this world because I have a kingdom that's coming that I'm going to inherit, that we are going to inherit together. The gospel was penetrating their hearts and creating a radical generosity and commitment and sacrifice for one another. This is a tremendous picture of what we say all the time. The church is not a building. We say this till we're like blue in the face. And this is one of those passages that makes it just so very, very vivid. Peter, uh, Luke does not describe here anything about the buildings that they were meeting in. In fact, he doesn't anywhere in the book of Acts. He doesn't describe the church as being a place or even an event. He doesn't make any mention about great, well-rehearsed worship bands. He doesn't make any mention about lights or fog machines or even carpet. He doesn't even mention carpet. He doesn't mention any of those things that's so easy for us as Americans to associate with the church. That it's a place or it's a, it's a structure or it's a building or, it, or it's even great packaged programs. He doesn't mention any of those things. What is the church? It is their relationships with one another. That they have been united in Jesus together. Not just individually, but with one another. Jesus and the power of the gospel has brought them together, wo- woven their lives together by the power of the gospel. It's a tremendous challenge to us in the way that we naturally think about the Christian life and the, the way that we naturally in our culture think about the church. And so often we're, we're so focused on our our personal space and, and, and keeping one another at arm's distance and, and putting up walls. And it just, it happens so naturally for us. I mean, even as we come into church, and I, I feel it in my own heart, even as we gather for church, you know, you come in and you're struggling, but yet you put on the, the happy face. And we're so reluctant to let one another into our lives. To let other brothers and sisters in the church know who we really are. To know our struggles. To know our doubts. To know our difficulties. To know what we're walking through in our life. We just want to be so strong in front of one another. That those things become barriers to the kind of oneness that that Luke is calling us to in this passage. I mean, even our our reluctance to, to gather together regularly. It's a tremendous challenge to what's so natural in our hearts and the barriers that prevent the oneness. Now, here's a question to ask. Why is this so essential to mission? Back to our original question. Why does Luke put this in the middle of Acts? I mean, the book of Acts is all about the gospel going to the world. It's all about going. It's all about mission. Why does he continue to hit pause and say, let me show you their interior life as a church? Why does he do that? Because community and mission is inseparable. And why is it inseparable? Because our relationships with one another is the embodiment of the gospel. It's what validates it to the world. It's what shows the world that it really is true, that that the gospel is powerful enough to take a people who are very different, who wouldn't naturally hang out together, who wouldn't naturally love one another, who have all kinds of hard edges and, and uh, you know, weird quirks about them, and yet the gospel comes in and it brings them together as one and the gospel begins to create a community where they're they're opening their lives to each other, they're sharing their struggles, they're loving one another, they're, they're eating together, they're spending time together. As the gospel does that, and that is exactly what the gospel do it does whenever it's applied in a people, it validates to the world the truth of the message that we preach. If you take the gospel out and you say, Hey, here's the truth of what Jesus has done, but yet they look at the church and there's none of this. There's none of this. There's no sacrificing for each other and bearing with one another. The the world looks at that and says, that's just words. There's no power to your gospel. And that's why today in our culture we see Christianity at such a decline. Why more and more people are leaving and turning away from the church. Because they hear our message of Jesus is Lord of all and they look at the church and they see hypocrisy, and they see division, and they see pretending, and they don't see closeness, commitment to each other, and they say, "Well, that's just words there's no power to it you see the the church the the gospel gets applied in a people, and it does something, and that is inseparable from mission. just this past week, I was reading a started reading a book recently called The Church's Movement. And there's a great story in here. Uh, the author shares a story about visiting a, a church, and he calls them missional communities here, trying to help us to think differently of the church, the church not a building or an event, but rather it's a community that is on mission together. And he visits this missional community, this church in New York City, and he goes and whenever he visits, they were having an evening where people were just getting up and they were just sharing their stories with each other. And it was a powerful evening of people just sharing through tears what God had been doing in their life through the community together. And he talks about this one lady named Monica and how her story particularly really captured him. Monica was a, uh, she was in her early 30s, uh, very successful uh would, would appear from the outside to be a really connected person, had a lot of friends and everything, but yet deep, deeply on the inside just felt isolated from any true connection to community. And she gets involved in this missional community, and she really begins to pour herself and open herself up, and these relationships begin to go deep. And here's what he describes. At one point, Monica found herself suddenly laid off from work and unable to pay her bills. She grew anxious and started to slip into depression. While her previous friends offered condolences, her missional community took her in when she couldn't pay her rent. They drove her to work when she couldn't make her car payments. She was welcomed to and included in everyone's dining rooms when she couldn't afford groceries. She wept that night, sharing that in the past, she was, when she was weak, she would hide it and pretend she was strong. Anybody relate to that? She would pretend that she is strong. But something shifted while receiving love from this new community. She learned to be weak. That is a powerful community. A community that allows you to be weak. And until you get weak and vulnerable. We cannot be the kind of community he's calling us to be here. Until you're willing to bring down the barriers, the facade, the mask, that I'm okay, and I'm not struggling. Until we're willing to be weak, world-changing community is not going to be possible. So how important is this? I don't know about you, but whenever I talk about community, it can seem like to me that, like, yeah, that's an important thing, but, you know, the really important thing is my personal relationship with Jesus. Am I praying enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? And all those things are very important. Don't get me wrong. But I tend to take those things, the personal relationship with Jesus, and kind of elevate them. And I think, well, you know the relationships with other people. Well, I'm just not really confessing those sins a whole lot. What about you? I'm not a whole lot going to God and being like, today I was cold to my brothers and sisters. Today I knew about someone in our church who had need and my heart wasn't moved at all towards them. I'm not confessing those kind of things, are you? How important is this to God? The next passage is the real shocker. I didn't have Stan read this when I spared him. Look at the next, I just want to read this next story. The very next thing that Luke shows us. And it's a tremendous picture of how important this is to God. We've just seen this picture of the early church. And it might be easy to think, hey, they were problem free. Everything was happening. Well, look what happens here. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But brought the rest and put at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira had been watching. They saw Joseph, they saw him so sacrificially sell his property and just hand the money over in tremendous love and sacrifice. And they probably saw the community was probably, when that happened, when Joseph did that, the community was like blown away as we would be. They're stunned. And so Ananias and Sapphira see that and they're like, wow, he's getting a lot of press here. So what they decide to do is they decide to go and sell a piece of property of their own. But yet, they're not going to give the whole amount. They're just going to give a portion and keep back the rest. Now, that wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't how much of their proceeds they gave. The problem was that they pretended, like Joseph, to give it all. And look what happens. Verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart That you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. That's direct, isn't it? Calls him out. And he says, here we get a clue. This, This is satanic attack from within the church. Satan's primary, his primary goal is to come into the church And begin to sow discord in the life of the church. Verse 4. Didn't the money belong to you before it was sold? This was yours. You didn't have to do this. Nobody said to you you had to do this. It was of your heart. It was of free will. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. That's a shocker. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are also at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in. And finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. In fact, we see that in two spots. Also in verse 5 about fear falling over the church. What's happening here? The issue was not that they didn't give a certain amount of money. The issue was that in the church... As it was thriving and the beauty of of self-sacrificing love for one another was happening. Satan begins to infiltrate and these people choose to go the way of hypocrisy. They choose to pretend to be more holy than they really were. And God's judgment breaks out immediately upon them. That's a shocker. Because I think very often we don't appreciate How holy the relationships within the church really are to God. It's so precious to Him. It's kind of like the temple in the Old Testament. The temple was this special holy place unlike any other. And you didn't just walk into the temple and you didn't just defame it. You didn't just go in and and vandalize it or do what you weren't supposed to do in the temple because it was a special place. It was set apart for God. And in the same way... The covenant community, the church, is the New Testament temple of God. And it's holy. And so to come in and to defame it through hypocrisy and lying and self-righteousness to God is a very serious thing. So much so that His judgment breaks out. I don't think we have much holy fear about our relationships with one another. In fact, I don't think we think about it all that much at all. Do we? This passage challenges us. It challenges how nonchalant we can be with our relationships. Of how, of, of really what's at stake whenever we choose to hold each other at arm's length. Whenever we just exchange pleasantries and yet go on and don't open our hearts to each other. That we don't share what's real. That whenever we see need, we're not compelled to get involved with one another. Where even our commitment to gather together and worship. You know, the latest studies today say that in, in America, that the most committed church members, that their average attendance in Sunday morning worship is twice a month. I'm just telling you a reality. And it shows this sense that we don't think much is happening here, but me showing up to get fed. But as we see this passage, we see this thing our relationships with each other, our oneness is at the top of God's list of priority. It's incredibly important to Him. So let me just end with a couple challenges for us. My challenge for us based upon this is this. Look for ways to go deeper in relationship with one another. In order to do that, you've got to create availability. There's got to be an actual commitment to availability because the reality is we're all busy. We've all got more to do than we can possibly get to in church and relationships with one another. Well, it's just another one of those things and it's actually the, the easiest thing to get put on the back burner. But in order to pursue this, we have got to commit ourselves to availability to one another. You've got to say no to some really good things in order to create space for us to build this kind of community together. So specifically, what would it look like? I'll just give you a few few suggestions. Eat meals with one another. Eat meals with people in the church you would not normally eat with. People that you might not have a natural affinity to, or you might not even know. Open your home. Or if opening your home is terrifying, go out to eat together. Pursue one another, because whenever you sit down to a meal you get to know each other. Relationship begins to form in your lives. Here's another suggestion. If you're single, and I don't just mean young single people, I mean mean of all stripes. You You might be divorced, you might be widowed, you might be young and single, whatever. If you're single, serve a family one of the things about families is that it's so easy to get kind of to yourselves because you're just trying to survive. I know that reality. You're just trying to survive. You're trying to get everybody fed and in bed at a decent hour. Well, if you're single, no matter what age, jump in and help. Offer to just become a part of the family and help. Help do laundry. Help with kids. Free babysitting. Oh, my gosh. You offer us free babysitting. We'll take you in a heartbeat. If you're a family, open your family to single people. Welcome them into your family. Let them live with you. Invite them over for dinner. Let them come do laundry at your house. You don't have to create something wholly different to do in your lives. We don't need more things to do. Rather, bring one another into what you're already doing in your life. Invite people into your family. Here's another very practical one. Community groups. Community groups are the one thing that we create as a church that is an avenue. Where we are creating a space to pursue exactly what we see right here. Where you have a small group of people where your goal is to know each other, to be known by each other, and to serve each other. To live this out right here. Community groups will start in September. Shameless plug. Get involved in a community group. And listen, that is hard. You've got to create availability. You've got to say no to kids' sports. You've got to say no to all kinds of other things that you can be doing. Our lives are so busy, I know. But you've got to create the availability for it. And then finally, the last one, if you want to be really radical, try to live near each other. Try to find a way to live close to one another. Because where you live really opens up your capacity to be community together. Well, that's enough for our challenges. Today we have a special opportunity to experience exactly what we see in Acts chapter 4. In its communion table. You know, we tend to think, again, that communion is simply me meeting with Jesus. Listen, it is that in spades. It's absolutely that. But Scripture says over and over and over that this table, this meal, unites us together as one. So I'd encourage you today, focus on that aspect of communion. As we come together, we're eating of the same loaf. We share in the same Jesus, in the same baptism, and in the same Holy Spirit. And today, as we go through communion, just you, you get you get an opportunity to come forward with other people, to be elbow to elbow with brothers and sisters in Christ. And even as we're singing, just watching families or singles or different people going up, just Think about this reality that we are one in Christ. So as we come now to the communion table, let's pray a prayer of confession as we always do to prepare our hearts to receive His grace. If you'll turn to page three in your songbooks, we're going to pray together a prayer of confession. We're going to pray the third one down. The third prayer down on the list. Let me encourage you, make this your prayer to the Lord. Let's offer our hearts up to Him in confession and repentance that we would come to His table and be fed with His grace. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we have refused to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now take a few moments to confess your sin privately to the Lord. Father, it's, it's true that apart from apart from your grace, apart from the work of Jesus, there's no way we could come to this table. There's no way we could stand before you. But as the psalmist says, with you there is forgiveness. So therefore, we rejoice. We confess to you that we are in desperate need of your grace. We have broken your law. We have not loved one another in the ways that you have called us to. We've been cold and distant to one another holding each other at arm's length. Would you wash us with the blood of Jesus and clothe us with his righteousness? And would you create in us to be a community that loves one another very sacrificially, generously, passionately? Create that kind of community among us so that the gospel would be put on display in your world, in our community here. Would you come and set apart these common elements, this bread and this wine, set it apart for your holy use. And would you feed us as your people with your very own spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.